I thought I saw one more. Okay. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, God, for loving us the way that you do. God, I thank you, Father, right now. We lift in one accord all these prayer requests up to you, Father. You've heard each one. You know each need, God. You've heard the praises, Father, and we tell you thank you for those, God. May we be faithful to always come tell you thank you for what you've done, God. We are all answered prayers. Every one of us in this place are an answered prayer, God, because you reached down and you saved our unworthy soul. You've washed away our sins. You've called us a child of God by your grace. Father, we know that you are the one that answers prayers, Father. And so we lift these up to you, God, and ask you to meet each one of these needs, Father. And God, I pray you'd reach in here tonight, Lord, as we look into your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reach out and that you'd speak to me, God. I pray that you'd speak through me. Father, I pray that you'd help us, God, to learn something from your word, that we'd walk out and be a better servant. And God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to put away our own thoughts and put away our own feelings. And God, may we just listen tonight to hear something from you. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to continue the study. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians last week. We kind of skimmed over chapter 5 all the way through it and part of chapter 6. And tonight we'll be relatively brief. It's not a lot more than a Sunday school lesson because it wasn't really time to jump on into chapter 7. But I want to pick up in chapter 6 where we were last week. Um, verse number 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, All things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Somebody said, thank you, Jesus. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God and not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. One of the things I want to clarify right here starting this scripture is when Paul says that all things are lawful to me, he's not talking about murder and adultery and um, fornication and lying and cheating and stealing. He's not talking about sin. He's not talking about things that are against the laws of God. Those things are never right for anybody to do, whether it lost or saved. Sin is always sin. So he's not talking about anything that is contrary to the laws of God. He's just transitioned from, we looked a little bit last week at all those sins and all those ones. He says, of such shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And now he has changed over into this next segment. But he's not saying that everything is good for me. Anything that is outside of the boundaries of the laws of God is always going to be sin. I, I shouldn't have anything in my life that I'm addicted to. I shouldn't have anything in my life that controls my body. I shouldn't allow myself to be enslaved by anything. 
I shouldn't use anything or put anything into my body that changes the way I think or alters the way I act. Um, I'm going to do something tonight that I have never done from a pulpit, ever. Not once. Had never talked about it. Um, not in years of traveling and preaching as, as a missionary, as raising support for the children's home, and certainly never from this platform have I ever talked about this before. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you before I do, I need you to put your feelings up for a few minutes. Because I'm not preaching against something right here. I'm going to make an example. And before it's all said and done, if you're in this building and you're not listening to the Holy Ghost, I'm going to offend you. As I love you. I'm going to start out with one, but it's only one. So don't get all excited about this verse and going, I don't do that. I want to talk about things that may be lawful for us to do, but they're not expedient for us to do. And one of the reasons I'm going to talk about this right now is because of the number of questions that I've gotten in the past month. I don't care if you smoke or not. That's your business. Hadn't got anything to do with me. If you come and want to talk to me about it, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. But I'm going to take just a few minutes and, and look at that because it may not be a sin, but it may not be expedient for you. Amen? People come and they say, well, what does the Bible say about smoking? Is it a sin? And some of them come almost like a little girl that comes down the steps and says, Daddy, is this dress too short? You know the answer. That's why you ask. Get your behind back up there and burn that thing and don't ever put it on again. You, you knew the answer before you came down. So that's the reasoning sometimes. You know, well, um, the, the, the church or the, the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking, does it? Well, no, it, it doesn't. Not in terms of sin because the fact is the Bible doesn't say anything about tobacco products at all. That doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about smoking. Uh, now, y'all understand, we, we're just looking at the Bible, right? I'm not preaching against smoking tonight. I'm preaching on all things are lawful. I'm preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. All things are lawful, but that doesn't mean that it's good for me. How many of you know who Charles Spurgeon is? Anybody know Charles Spurgeon? If you study the Bible very much and you use some commentaries, you know Charles Spurgeon. How many of you know that Charles Spurgeon smokes? Charles Spurgeon made a living with cigars. He loved cigars. He smoked. Now, there's two reasons for why they say he stopped smoking. One of them says that because his health was deteriorating and doctors told him that smoking was killing him and he needed to quit. So that's why he quit. But there's another story out there that says one of the reasons he quit and one of the things that gave him the incentive was that he saw an ad on a cigar company that said, this is the brand that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And it convicted him so bad because he considered himself a man of God and that that became his testimony. So that, again, that come off the internet. I'm not sure which of those is true. But, but number one, smoking is addictive. It is a fact that it, is, it has one of the most addictive drugs known in it. So it acts as a stimulant. It acts as a depressant. And when you smoke, it delivers nicotine to the brain. An average smoker that smokes, say, a pack a day, sends 200 doses of this high-powered drug to their brain. Each time they take a puff, you're looking at about 200 puffs a day. 
No other drug addict of any kind sends that much of a drug to their brain in a single day. So that's why it's so addictive. Um, Once a person starts smoking, they become hooked because they begin to crave the drug. And if you have a craving for the drug and it's not satisfied, then the body begins to have withdrawals. And that's what makes you want it back. That's because of the drug that's in there. So if the body is yielded as a servant to a product, then we're yielding our body to something other than Christ. Y'all get what I'm talking about. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. That means that anything that you surrender your body to, you are a slave to that product. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So while the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking, it has a lot to say about being addicted to things. It has a lot to say about having things that control our lives. Number two, we know for a fact that smoking damages the body. And the Bible has a lot to say about how we're supposed to take care of our body. This is the temple of God. This is the the place where the Holy Spirit resides. And we may look a little bit more later at some of the things that the Bible says about taking care of our own body. But number three, it's proven that secondhand smoke kills more than 600,000 people per year. And the great majority of that 600,000 people per year that die that do not smoke and die from secondhand smoke are women and children. And the reason is because they live in a house where the man says, this is my house. I'll do what I want in my house. And he doesn't know it, but he's silently, in a lot of cases, killing his own family. So we, we certainly ought to love our families, right? So if it's offensive or dangerous to those around us, then the Bible gives us some instru- instructions. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, let no man seek his own, but let every man another's wealth so we know from scripture that we're supposed to be concerned about the well-being of those around us so if we're doing anything that we know is directly harmful to others then we ought to at least give it some considerations we teach in our children's training sessions i sat back there a couple sunday nights ago and listened as we talked about living above reproach if we're going to work and i know those guys aren't in here tonight that's part of why they're not here we have about as many people down there probably as we do up here because we have all the Awana training going on down in the gym and we have the first through fifth graders down there and some people doing things with them. But one of the things that we taught in that training course, if you wasn't here, is if you're going to work with children at Faith Baptist Church, you're expected to live above reproach. You're expected to be a, a positive testimony and you're not to use any tobacco products or substitutes on this campus. Well, my thought is if we don't want children to see you doing it on the campus that probably don't need to see you doing it in the Walmart parking lot if we think something's wrong sometime then it's yeah thank you um so again I'm not I'm not I'm not preaching that smoking's a sin y'all don't go out of here I preach one out preach no I'm not no I'm not I'm preaching that the Bible says just because some things aren't sinful doesn't mean they're good for us it says that it's not expedient. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's here in this text. I can tell you this. I've never heard one person say, 
can't wait till my children get old enough to teach them how to smoke. I can't wait till my son gets old enough that he and dad can go out and smoke together. Man, I get to teach him. I've never heard anybody say that. I've never heard a dad say, I can't wait till the day I see my daughter come walking through that door with a cigarette in her mouth. I've never heard that. I've got a lot of friends that smoke. And again, that's not my business. That I'm just telling you, they all say the exact same thing. I told my children, I ever catch you one of these things in your hand, I'm going to tear your backside up. Why? Why are you going to whip your child? They, they learned it from their greatest hero on planet Earth. Mom and dad ought to be the greatest hero out there. That's the bottom line. If, if you smoke, your children is going to at least take a, a puff at it. If you drink a lot, you might well expect it. Your children are going to give it a shot. We're supposed to be their, their hero. So before we get all super spiritual and those that don't smoke go, I've been telling them all along and they cut that nasty stuff out. Well, overeating is just as bad for you as smoking. And I'll one-up you on that one. Glutton is a sin. Don't say nothing about smoking. Glutton is. Overeating, overindulging, too much sugar starts making your vest fit tighter. Too much salt. Ain't that right, Mr. Wilbur? Ain't nothing no good without salt. Now they want us to stop eating the stuff, man. What's the matter with people? You can't eat without salt. But too much salt is, is bad for us, right? It's not a sin to eat salt. It's not a sin to salt your food, but to put too much salt to do something in excess so that it begins to the point that I can't eat without salt. Y'all know those kind of people? You ain't got salt. I just ain't eating. You got people, if you ain't got a bottle of ketchup, they can't eat three French fries. Because they're going to put a whole bottle on three fries. The, the, those things are addictions. We, we build an addiction. We have to have something. Um, being overweight is just as unhealthy as smoking a cigarette. Things that may not be sin, but still they're not expedient for us. They're not lawful for us. Drinking carbonated drinks. Too many carbonated drinks is not good for you. Those energy drinks, as they call them, are not good for you. Putting too much of that stuff in you is not good for you. All, all of that stuff, um, alcohol, drinks, it's not good for you. Anything, especially in excess. So now I, I'm going to go ahead, and I told you, if you're in here, I'm going to offend you before you leave. If you didn't come in here to hear from the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go ahead. So I'm going to go ahead and finish everybody off. If I hadn't gotten anybody yet, I'm going to do it right here. So that everybody can leave here with your feelings on your shoulders and be just as mad as the person sitting beside you. If you're addicted to coffee in the morning, you're addicted to a drug. Oh! <laughs> it's an addiction. How many of you have a deathbed headache by 9.30 if you had four cups of coffee? It's caffeine. It's an addiction. It's what's in the energy drinks. It's what's in the stuff. Paul is just telling us, hey, just because something's not a sin doesn't mean it's good for us. All things are not expedient. So, so I don't want to just toss off over on cigarettes and everybody gets on the hallelujah bandwagon. I've been telling them for years, dip old nasty stuff up there. It's all over the place. 
nasty. Well, that's not all there is. That, that's, that's not all there is. We are supposed to take care of our bodies. We, we are the temple. Paul says right here in this text, I will not be brought under the power of any. Simple question. Is it going to bother you if you don't have coffee tomorrow? Is it going to bother you if you don't have sugar tomorrow? Is it going to, no, really it's going to bother you all more than me because I'm being in a really bad mood. Is it going to bother you if you don't have salt tomorrow? Is it going to bother you if you don't smoke a cigarette tomorrow? Is it going to bother you if you don't have um, some type of tobacco use tomorrow? Is it going to, if that's true, then your body's addicted to something. And, and you're relying. Therefore, your body is enslaved to something. All things are lawful unto me. He says, I will not be brought under the power of any. So as a child of God, we can do anything that's not against the laws of the book. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for us. And, and by no means, when he says that all things are lawful unto me, by no means does he mean anything that is sin. Sin is sin, will always be sin. There will never be a time when it's lawful. Matter of fact, he even talks about, can we just go on sinning now that we're saved? He said, God forbid. So we know that that's not the case. So verse number 13, Paul gets a little more instructive. As Christians, we have some leeway when it comes to some things. We have some leeway when it comes to overeating or, or cigarettes or things that we're looking at there. He just says those things are, are not sin, but they're just not good for me. But then he gets to some areas that are just cut and dry. There's no debate. There's no room for debate. There's no place for choice. This is not a choice. In verse number 13, he says, The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. You can period that. That's not open for discussion. That's not open for debate. That's not a gray area. That's not something you can do if you want to, but it's not good for you. No, no, that's something you can't do. When it comes to any form of of sexual activity outside the confines of marriage, it is against the law of God. And there is a punishment coming your way for it. That is a sin against your own body. He even talks about, and I'm not going to go real deep into it, but he talks about a lot of sins that are without the body. Those are sin. But he says that is sins within the body. And there will be consequences for those things. He says the body is not for fornication. When you choose to ignore the law of God, when you choose to ignore that command, there will be consequences of sin against the body. Jesus became man, and through that man, Jesus glorified the body. Amen? Everybody agree with that. Jesus set a standard for the body. Jesus took a body, a human body, a fleshly body, and he kept that body free from sin. He kept that body free from corruption. He even kept that body free from decay because he arose from the grave on the third day. Now understand being on the third day is from a Friday night to a Saturday to a rose on a Sunday morning. So you're not talking about three full days of 72 hours. You're really talking about from a night on a Friday to a Sunday morning. That being the third day. I know we talked about that Sunday morning, right? The Jews bury their dead that day, day one. They're buried on the day that they die. That was the Jewish customs. So... Jesus arose from the grave, so what we see is that he glorified the body. Well, God expects you and I, as Christians, to treat our body the same way he treated his. To take care of our body 
the same way he took care of his. Look at it. It's there in the text. Verse number 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the member of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. We know that together as Christians that we make up the body of Christ. You and I together, each one of us are a piece fitly joined together that creates the body of Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in verse number 10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Drop down to verse number 19, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. A little further over, as we get over um, to chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians in the study, we'll see in verse number 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, if all be the eye, then where the hearing be. And he talks about the body parts. And he, he basically says, somebody in here is a little toenail. Yeah. Somebody in here is a thumb. Somebody in here is a retina. We all together work together. God puts us together as one to create the body of Christ. Amen? So if we're the body of Christ, then we're to live as the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, he told us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God expects us to take care of our bodies, to present our bodies a reasonable sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So think about what Jesus did with his body. We're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to take care of our body and treat our body the way Christ treated the body. Well, Jesus with his mouth, he, he taught about repentance. He told others about the way to the Father. He said, by me. Amen? So our job is to, to turn that to by him. He is the only way to the Father to tell others. Jesus spoke with his mouth, but he spoke without sin. He spoke without discord. He never once tore down another brother and sister in the church. He never once spoke negative about anybody, including somebody out there that's lost and on their way to hell. He may have told them the truth. You're on your way to hell. That's okay. The truth is the truth. Without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, without the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins, without you accepting the free gift, you're going to die and go to hell. That's book. You owe nobody an apology for that. That's not condemning somebody. That's telling somebody the truth that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that we get a free eternal home in heaven that we don't deserve. We just get to go. Thank you, Jesus. But Jesus, he spoke about using our mouth to the glory of God. He even talked about that, that we're not to use it to glorify God while cursing others. He said, my brother, these things ought not be so. So we're supposed to use our mouth to, to the glory of the things of God and not as a tool for the devil. Jesus with his feet, we looked at it Sunday, and Jesus walked. 
to where Martha and Mary was. He walked because they were hurting. He went to where they were to carry them a blessing. He went to be a blessing to someone. He used his feet to walk to try to go be of a help to somebody. He walked on the sea. We looked at it about three Sunday mornings ago in learning how to walk on water. And when the storm was there and the disciples needed help, we see that he used his feet to walk on the sea so that he might go and be a blessing unto others. We, we looked in the Word of God at how he's touched the leper. Matter of fact, that's what the thank yous are for. You, you say a prayer, and if God answers your prayer, you come get one out and you put it in there and say, Thank you, God, and spend some time. Those are just to remind us to say thank you, God, because too many times we pray and we ask God and God does stuff and we don't take time to say thank you. And if it didn't matter, he wouldn't have asked, where's those other nine lepers at? Were there not ten cleanest? Where are the nine? But we know that he, that he touched the leper. Were those he actually sent them to show thyself to the priest? But in the case of the one that we portray up here in the Easter play, we know that with his hands he touched the leper and, and took away their disease. We know that he touched the eyes of the blind and gave them sight, and he touched the ears of the deaf that they might hear. We know that he touched the tongue of, of the mute so that they might speak. We know that he touched all manner of diseases. We know that he touched the hand of the withered so that, that it extended and was whole. And we know that with his voice that he cast out demons. With his voice he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And, but not just those things. We also know that he offered his back to the ones that beat him. He, he offered um, his cheek to the ones, don't sound good when I grab my mic, does it? To the ones that plucked the beard out. He offered his face to the ones that spit on him. He, he offered his, his hands and his feet to those that crucified him on a cross. He offered his brow to those that wanted to mock him and make fun of him and place the crown of thorns. He offered his life to the ones that hated him. That's what Jesus did with his body. In the face of it all, as he was offering his life, he offered his voice once more to pray for forgiveness of the ones who were persecuting him. To pray for the very ones that were crucifying him. To pray for the very ones that spit in his face. To pray for the very ones that beat him on his back. He offered his body a sacrifice. And then he turned around and used that same mouth to pray for the ones that abused him. And then with his heart, he offered forgiveness to all of mankind. And you and I are supposed to be his body today. That means that we are the hands of God. We are the feet of God. We are the voice of God. We are the eyes of God. We're supposed to be the tools of God. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is Christ lives in us. And if we are indeed Christians, then Christ ought to live through us. If we're living the way we're supposed to be, then people see Christ in us. Because Christ is exemplified through us. Verse number 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. All sin is a violation. All sin is a violation between the union of Christ and the Christian. Between the union, between the Redeemer and the redeemed. Sin is sin. And sin is 
separation from God. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. The Bible tells us that when a man and woman is joined together as husband and wife, that it is holy matrimony. And that these twain shall become one flesh. God sees them as one. And that what God hath therefore joined together, let not man put asunder. But when you and I got saved, it is a picture. When you and I got saved, the human spirit and the Holy Spirit became one spirit. So when we sin, we are committing fornication against that Holy Spirit. Oh, it got awful quiet in here on a Wednesday night. That's a little hard even for Wednesday night, ain't it? Verse number 19, Paul says, what? Don't you already know this stuff? This ought not be nothing new to you. I'm not writing you a new letter. What? You see it? Y'all got that in your Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19, question mark. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? He says, we belong to God. We are the property of God. We are to be the hands and feet of God. We are to be the image of God. We are to be the examples of God. We are supposed to be Christian. We are supposed to be Christ-like. What? Don't you know that? Don't you know that your temple, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Is what he says, verse number 20. He says, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our, our body... Our soul, our spirit, everything has been purchased by God. And the cost of that purchase was the precious blood of his only begotten son. You and I have been paid a great price. There's never been a greater price paid for anything than what was paid for you and I. First Peter in chapter 1 says in verse number 18, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him to believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. We belong to God. We, we've been purchased. I, I preach this all the time. He's not just Savior. He did not just save your soul from hell. Thank God that he did. But when I accepted him as Savior, I accepted him as Lord. He owns my life. He owns my body. I'm to try to do everything according to the, the, the instructions of this book. I'm trying to live my life pure and pleasing and holy to him. Sin, when I sin, I didn't say if I sin. And if any of you got in here, if I sin, you need to pay more attention to how you're living. And you don't drive around the same people I drive around. And y'all don't go through as many red lights as I do that turn yellow just before you get to them. When, when, when you even think a thought, when you do anything that's impure, when we sin, it ought to make us sick. When, when we realize that we've done something, thought a thought, done anything that is contrary to the will of God, the Holy Spirit inside of us, it, it, it ought to break our heart. Because we're supposed to be trying to do with our bodies what Christ did with his and Christ perfected his body and now we we have surrendered everything we've had all of our sins washed away old things have passed away behold all things become new but i now have a new direction i have a lord of my life amen paul here in this last part of chapter six he's dealing primarily with fornication but sin is sin 
all sin is separation. We have a great challenge to, to live our lives in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I in that by myself or is there an amen when I say we have a great challenge to live this life in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it a challenge to anybody besides me? Am I the only heathen in this house? It is a great challenge to live our life according to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we are indeed a child of God, then we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And if we're keeping that temple pure and holy, he is living inside of us. And it's him that says, uh-uh, don't do that. I, 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 you, don't, don't say that. I mean, your tongue was all wet and you wanted to say something about somebody so bad. And, and God reminds you through the voice of your mom and dad and your little says, if you ain't got something good to say about somebody, keep your mouth shut. If you're going to say something good, don't say nothing at all. It's, it's the Holy Spirit when you know you ought to go help somebody, be a blessing to somebody. It's the Holy Spirit that wakes you up 3 o'clock in the morning and tells you to pray for somebody. You don't know what they're going through. Yeah, no idea what's going on. You're like, God, it's 3 o'clock. God knew what time it was before he woke you up. Get up and pray for somebody. We, we have the Holy Spirit. The job is only extremely difficult when we try to do it on our own. If we trust the Holy Spirit and listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the job becomes a whole lot easier. Because the Holy Spirit was here with Jesus, and he's there with the Father, and he knows how he wants us to live. So if we just follow some instructions, it, it makes it a, a little bit easier. But here's the deal. At one point, the Holy Spirit was, was drawing us. We were lost. We were on our way to hell. And the Holy Spirit was drawing us to salvation. On the day that we got saved, we accepted Christ. We became the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit is a resident in my body. The Holy Spirit is no different as a resident than he was when he was outside drawing. He will not force you. He didn't force you to get saved. He's not going to force you to live right. God made you and I to be a choice. He wants us to choose to live righteous. He wants us to choose to live holy. He wants us to choose to love our neighbor as ourselves. He wants us to choose to love others, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He wants us to choose to be in church and worship on a Wednesday night. He wants us to choose to, where is my pianist, to praise him one more time. He wants us to choose it. The Holy Spirit, even as a resident, is not going to make you live that way. He's going to give you an opportunity. But as sure as we do the things that God wants us to do, God's rewarding you in heaven for living a life pleasing to him. It's up to you and I to choose to live right, to live above reproach, to live our lives according to the will of God. And there are things that although they are lawful to you and I, they're not expedient to you and I. They may be okay for us to do, but they're not good for us to do. I can simplify this, and then we're going to pray. If you can't do it everywhere all the time, and it be okay, then you shouldn't do it anywhere any of the time. Because if you think it's okay in secret, then it ought to be okay in public. And if there's something inside you that says, I ought not be doing that, anywhere, then you ought not be doing that anytime. Amen? So that, that, that's what Paul is dealing with. Though all things are lawful, all things aren't expedient. Let's take a few minutes tonight and pray. 
I thought we'd be through a few minutes early, but I never am. I don't know why I thought that. Um, but that's okay. We're going to take just a few minutes, if we could, and, and pray. Y'all heard the prayer request? Even if you don't remember them, take a few minutes. You can come down here to the altar. You can pray right where you're at. Take a few minutes, and, and let's pray for these needs together before we leave. Some of these are very, very serious needs. Um, and, and it's okay while we're praying to pray for ourselves. God, help us live a life pleasing to you. It's a, it's a daily battle for me. While we're, um, while we're praying, you're already praying, so you already got heads bowed and eyes closed. So if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let me just ask you real quick. Anybody has any doubt at all about where you'd spend eternity? If you died tonight, do you know that you know you'd go to heaven because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and for no other reason? I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many people you help. I don't care how much money you give to the poor. I don't care how many times you stopped on the side road and changed an elderly lady's flat tire. Bible says there's none good, no, not one. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have no assurance of heaven. It's that simple. But you can have it. The Bible says it must be confession of the sins. You can say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. Hey, God's just our Father. The Lord is our Savior. He just wants you to talk to Him. You ain't, you ain't got to have some super spiritual, holy, righteous, old Father thou art, some kind of prayer. You just got to talk to Him. It's okay to just tell Him, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Lord, I know I'm, I'm bad. I know I got some sin. I don't want to go to hell. I, I need to do whatever it takes to go to heaven. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross. I believe that you can save my soul. I've been running for a long time. I just want to be saved. You, you don't have to have some long-term kind of holier-than-thou prayer. You just got to talk to God. Tell Him I am a sinner. I'm asking you, Lord, to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, save my soul in Jesus' name. If you're willing to do those things, God is more than willing to save your soul. That's what Jesus Christ died for. So that sinners like me can be saved. So that sinners like me can be justified as though I'd never done it. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood.